Welcome to another episode of Water Cooler Politics. In this episode, we discuss the Derek Chauvin verdict, and we discuss the Democrats' pipe dream of making Washington, D.C. the 51st state. So if you're ready, meet me over at the water cooler. Former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin was found guilty on all three charges that he faced in the murder of George Floyd. I have to admit that I was a little surprised that he was convicted on all three charges. Um, I'm not an expert in the law. I'm not an attorney. But I felt like most of uh, the lay and legal experts that Officer Chauvin probably was going to be convicted of second degree manslaughter, but not the other three charges. I have to say that I believe that the verdict was a just verdict. Um, I thought that Derek Chauvin got as much of a, as a fair trial as he could have gotten. Um, the video of him kneeling on George Floyd's neck for nine and a half minutes um, circled the globe many, many times. It's been, probably been viewed a billion times. I think that was a tough burden to get over for Derek Chauvin's defense to prove that what he did uh, was in accordance with his police training. I think that was a, a far stretch. I think there were three things that doomed Derek Chauvin in this trial. First, of course, was the nine-and-a-half-minute video of uh, Officer Chauvin kneeling on George Floyd's neck. I think the second thing that doomed him was the prosecution witness who broke down on the stand as he told the tale of watching uh, Officer Chauvin basically snuff the life out of uh, George Floyd. And third, I think what doomed Chauvin was the expert witness, Dr. Tobin, who was the pulmonary expert, who showed in one specific part of the video where he saw the life of George Floyd being snuffed out and pointed out this is the moment that he passed. I think those three things were just way too much uh, for the defense to overcome, and I think this was definitely was going to be a conviction. Ante Maxine Waters foisted herself into the scene and potentially could cause a mistrial. When she showed up the Sunday before the verdict and was in the streets agitating folks, telling people that if the correct verdict was not handed down, that people should stay in the, tr in the streets, that they should be confrontational. And so that didn't help. You know, as I said earlier, I think that the verdict uh, against Derek Chauvin was correct. But unfortunately, because of Congressman Waters, I think she puts a bit of a taint on the verdict where many believe that Derek Chauvin didn't get a fair trial because she influenced the jury, even though the jury was supposed to be sequestered. You know, as I've heard and people that are in the law profession say that a jury can be sequestered, but still information will get to them. Do I think Maxine's Waters actions will be helpful to the defense and help with their appeal? I don't. And the reason that I believe that is that this is a very political trial, and I don't think there's a judge in this country that wants to go down as the person who uh, reversed the verdict on the George Floyd trial. I think that and that alone is why this verdict will stand and that Derek Chauvin, who is facing 40 years in jail, is going to do some uh, serious, serious jail time. You know, one thing that was really sad is you would think that everyone agreed that what Derek Chauvin did was illegal and that he should be held accountable. 
um, the degree of uh, was it intentional? I think that was the big question in a lot of people's minds. But in terms of should he be held responsible for what uh, happened to Mr. Floyd? Of course he should have. And so I, that was a moment, I think, that the country could have rallied together, could have seen the justice system does work for black and white and brown and red and yellow and everyone in between. But instead, the media has their narrative that they are foisting on us that America is a racist country, that African-Americans, especially African-American males, cannot walk down the street without having an encounter with the police that could cost them their life. And the New York Times helped foster that narrative the next morning when they had a piece in the paper talking about how rare it was that a police officer was, officer was convicted of a crime. You know, instead of going at it from that angle, why not go at it as saying that here's a police officer who was tried by a jury of his peers and was found guilty for violating the civil rights, not only the civil rights of Mr. Floyd, but also for murdering him. And I think that was just a wasted attempt or a wasted opportunity that the New York Times could have used to try to bring a country together that is deeply, deeply divided by race in which I believe the Democrats are not doing much to help the divide. You know, during the verdict rendering against uh, Derek Chauvin, we had another tragic shooting that happened in Columbus, Ohio, between the police and an unarmed, well, I'm not going to say an un unarmed, because this young teenager, 16 years old, was about to stab a teenage friend, or former friend, um, with a knife, until a Columbus police officer showed up on the scene, told the suspect, the young girl, to put the knife down or to get down, said that several times she did not comply, and he had to use lethal force, and he put her down. You know, no one wants to see the, a young life snuffed out that could have had some type of promise, but if you look at the body camera footage that we've all seen, um, Michaela was about to stab this other young woman and this did not look like it was going to be a slashing wound it looked like it was going to be a serious puncture wound where she was either going to stab uh, this young lady in the face or was going to stab her in the neck or stab her in the heart and kill her the police officer did the right thing and I was just mesmerized yesterday when I was on Facebook and I saw hashtags uh, with Michaela's name on it as she was some kind of martyr who was wrongfully killed by the police. Uh, it, it's just amazing to me that we've gotten to the point where any type of police shooting, no matter how justified it is, is met with skepticism and sometimes is met with riots and looting. You know, this Michaela shooting for me has really been a light bulb moment and it really showed me what the Marxists and BLM true aims are for this country. They, in their liberal logic, believe that they can lessen police shootings and police encounters if they make the police fearful and hesitancy to use lethal force. That is logic that you can only call liberal logic because we, what we know will happen is that criminals will just become more brazen when you broadcast that you're not going to take lethal force against someone that may be committing a crime. You know, we just had the other day the mayor of Berkeley announced that his city, his police officers, will no longer stop people for taillight offenses or what they would call minor offenses. 
And I can understand the rationale behind it. A lot of these traffic stops have, have resulted in violence or deadly shootings because most of the time the perpetrator did not comply with police orders. And anytime that happens, that's probably not going to end well for you. But, you know, getting back to this Michaela shooting and the liberals' true aims, is, it's just what I said. They want to basically make black people untouchable and that if there is any type of police shooting, that is automatically justified. And, uh, and you know, I was just talking about the city of, of Berkeley with their offense. Um, they think that they're helping. They think that this will have less police encounters, that this will foster goodwill with the police. But it won't. And as I said, it's just going to make the criminals just even more brazen. And what happens many times is when people are pulled over for minor traffic offenses, those people have warrants out for their arrest for crimes that are much more serious for a broken taillight. So I think taking that tool away from the police arsenal to get criminals off the street is very dangerous. I think also when you lessen petty crimes or offenses, you have more of them. And you look what happened uh, in New York City. Mayor Giuliani uh, instituted a policy called the broken windows policy where simple things of cleaning up the street and not defecating on the street and urinating and simple things were cleaned up and that wasn't allowed to happen. And what happened over a couple, two, three years is that the crime rate that went down when people saw that the police were serious about enforcing the law. And you're not going to have that when you are instituting things that you're t where you're taking tools away from the police that could stop crime. You know, I'm very fearful with what we see happening in our country, the demonizing of the police point that what we're going to have is a divided country where you're going to have those that can afford police protection and have weapons and those that don't have weapons are going to have a defense. Those that do have weapons are going to have a defense against the criminals because we have so declawed the police that they're not going to want to enter a situation where they become the next police officer whose face is blasted all over the news and has his life and career ruined because he was just doing his job. Not in all cases where these police officers were doing their job. Derek Chauvin was not. But in the case of the police officer in Columbus, Ohio, who saved this young woman's life because she was about to be stabbed by a, a young teenager who was literally out of control, that's a justified shooting. That's a shooting that the officers are trained for. That's a shooting that we pay our police officers way too little for to do. And I will stand by and say that was a good shooting in the terms of policy. And no one likes to see a young person lose their life, but a life was saved in this instance. And I think we need to focus on that instead of the media narrative that here's another young black teenager that was shot by a white police officer. <laughs> For the second year in a row, Democrats have passed H.R. 51. H.R. 51 is the bill that will make Washington, D.C. the 51st state of the Union. It was not an overwhelming vote. It was 216 to 208, which shows that there is hardly a mandate or popular support for this. Statehood for Washington, D.C. is just a naked power grab by the Democrats. If they are able to pull this off, which is a uphill climb for them, they will add two more permanent senators to their ranks, 
And we know that if they are able to make Washington, D.C. a state, they will not stop there. They will attempt to make Puerto Rico the 52nd state. And that will probably add two more Democratic senators, giving them four total. And four senators in this very divided country, four senators is a huge margin that would give the Democrats probably power over the Senate forever, and they would be able to pass their leftist agenda without much uh, stoppage from the Republican Party. H.R. 51, this plank to make Washington, D.C., is just one of three planks that the Democratic Party has to permanently take over the government and have a permanent governing majority. Um, The second plank is to pack the Supreme Court. If they are able to add four more justices, they can overturn many of the decisions that have gone the conservatives way now that there is a 6-3 theoretically conservative court. As we know, uh, Chief Justice Roberts is kind of the swing vote now, so you really don't know where he's going to vote. But if the Democrats are able to add four more justices to the Supreme Court, they would be able to radically change the future of this country. The second plank, of course, is H.R. 1, and that's the first bill that the Democrats released when they came to power in January. H.R. 1 is the federal takeover elections. It would institute ballot harvesting, which we know is ripe for fraud, and it would also eliminate voter ID requirements, which we also know is ripe for fraud, and we, what we also know, which is probably was responsible for a lot of the fraud that happened during this last election. You know, I find it very curious, the name of the, the proposed name, of the new uh, state of Washington, D.C. The proposed name is the Washington Douglas Commonwealth. And the reason that I find that interesting is, you know, the Democrats don't tout Frederick Douglass much. Black conservatives have taken over the mantle of Frederick Douglass's legacy. There are many Frederick Douglass black conservative organizations around the country. There is a Frederick Douglass Leadership Foundation that is a think tank that talks about issues that affect African-Americans from a conservative viewpoint. I had a chance to interview Dr. Shelby Steele last summer, and he said that Frederick Douglass was one of his heroes, and this is why. My favorite black leader of all time is Frederick Douglass, who asked after after emancipation, well, we just freed the blacks, now what are we going to do with them? And his answer was, leave us alone. And as we know, the last thing that the Democratic Party wants is for black people to be self-reliant and not depend on the Democratic Party. Unfortunately, these last 50 or 60 years since the LBJ administration and the Great Society, the Democrats have convinced the overwhelming number of African Americans that they are victims and that they are no way that they can achieve in this country. And now, unfortunately, they are convincing African Americans that the police are their enemies and that a young African-American male cannot walk down the street or drive in his car without being pulled over police and possibly assaulted or even killed. The Democratic Party has been the worst thing that's ever happened to African-American people. I say that unapologetically. The Democratic Party did some good things. They helped pass the 64 voting rights and the 65 voting rights bills with the help of a lot of modern Republicans. But they have taken our vote for granted for for so many years, and they have put us into a new bondage, a new slavery, all started by the Great Society programs. I can't wait for that moment when African Americans 
see that the Democratic Party has been the worst thing for them and start taking a look at the Republican conservative message and not worry about what their peers say and be called an Uncle Tom and a sellout, but really vote your interest and really see how the Democratic Party has treated African Americans as a really a throwaway commodity where they only really come around is during uh, vote time. But between election cycles, we don't see them. But we see them always pandering to all their other special interest groups. But when it comes to African Americans, we are left shortchanged and we are only really catered to uh, when it's around election time and they need our vote. I hope that one day, as I said, African Americans see the light. And I also hope that the American people see the light currently of exactly what the Democrats are trying to do with this naked power grab of trying to turn Washington, D.C. into the 51st state. You know, one more note. I was about to close. You know, one thing that I will support, I do not support uh, statehood for Washington, D.C., but I do support an interesting proposal, uh, Washington, D.C., becoming a part of Virginia or Maryland, preferably Maryland because it's a Democratic state and Virginia purplish to blue. But I would definitely support that if people feel that they don't uh, have any rights and don't have representation living in Washington, D.C., then I would support Washington, D.C. becoming one of those, one of those two states. And I've always said, and that's never been much of an argument for me, that it's no taxation or without representation. You know when you move or live in Washington, D.C., that you will not have a congressman, that you will not have a senator, and that is a choice that you make. And Virginia and Maryland are literally a stone's throw away from Washington, D.C., and if it bothers you that much that you feel that you don't have representation, then move. I think that's a very simple thing to do instead of changing the Constitution and upsetting the electoral balance that would give Democrats power forever. Thank you for listening to this episode of Water Cooler Politics. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.